Hi folks, and welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Our Southwest Minnesota friends are encouraged to stop by our Sioux Nation Ag Center store in Marshall for all your livestock product needs. Joining us today on the program is Adele Hardy. Adele is a cow-calf field specialist with XDSU Extension based in the Rapid City Regional Extension Center. How are you doing today, Adele? I'm doing great. Thank you. Adele is here to talk to us today about grazing, particularly rationing grass during a drought because, let's face it, that's kind of what we're dealing with at this point in time. Yes, it is. And it's it's going to be a challenging situation for many producers across the state, I'm afraid. And unfortunately, it's not a one-size-fits-all answer either. I mean, especially when you consider some of the producers you work with out in Rapid versus maybe somebody that's in Minnehaha County. There's those differences, but some of the things are the same no matter where you're at. There are some things that are the same. I think, you know, the basic principles of what are some of the options that we have to help us stretch the forage resources are the same. Some of the challenges are what are our alternatives? Those of you that are East River have different alternatives available than we have West River. And so it's really about analyzing your own situation to really evaluate that situation and then evaluate those alternatives. So, you know, as we think about what we can do to help stretch some grass, one of the things that I hear frequently and I have to make sure that I clarify with producers is there's many people that want to supplement their cattle on range. The key is that we supplement with the right feedstuff and not shoot ourselves in the foot because we're using the wrong feedstuff. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, it's dry. I need to provide protein. You do not want to provide supplemental protein in a drought situation because what that's going to do is actually stimulate those cattle to eat more. And then you're going to have the negative or opposite effect that you're intending on that grass because they're going to eat that protein supplement. They're going to want to go eat more grass, which then defeats the purpose of trying to stretch those forage resources. But we can look at some energy supplementation or actually it becomes more of a substitution, Mm -hmm. but we've got to see what energy supplements are available. So let's start out with an example. Let's go right in the middle. Let's say pressure area. And say we have a producer that grazes range outside of the Presho area that is looking to stretch grass. If you were getting this as a phone call, what would be some of the first things that you would recommend as options to make that happen? Well, if I were getting this as a phone call, I would probably ask a lot more questions. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Give anything um, at the beginning. But it's going to be just getting an understanding of what their operation is, what their current resources are, what... Uh, feed resources they have available because pressure middle of the state i have to admit i'm not exactly sure what energy sources if economic energy sources would be available you know if we were further west river we could use some beet pulp but then trucking that depending on whether it was wet or dry if it's wet you want to be really close to it if it's dry it's hard because it's light it's hard to get a full load and so then it ends up costing you more um, from that perspective wheat mids and soy holes are good options for that energy supplementation because what we want to look at when we're supplementing energy on pasture is we want to have a high fiber energy supplement so that it's not changing that room and environment changing the room and microbes because we don't want to have a negative impact on fiber digestion but we want them to be able to eat less of that forage that's out there. And so in the pressure area, I would really have to ask that producer, what feed resources do you have available? What's the cost? We would sit down and do a cost analysis to compare those 
feeds on a cost per unit of nutrient basis and then determine our trucking costs in there because we've got to always account for that if it's not available locally. And then we can determine which feed's going to be the most economical. And then from there, it's evaluating how much of that feed that we can utilize. The challenge with some of these alternative feed stuff is that we have to limit intake because of sometimes some anti-nutritive qualities that some of them have. Sometimes you, uh, if you feed too much of it, you can have more of a negative impact on the cattle. Could you give some examples maybe of those situations? Well, you know, in the past we've had some kind of failed soybean crops. And Mm -hmm. so typically we have to roast soybeans so that we can take care of those anti-nutritive factors. If we're trying to feed raw soybeans, especially they can have real negative effects on bulls and their production. And you can probably talk a little bit more about that than I can from the veterinary perspective. Yep, there is that aspect. You know, some of our, the legumes, all of the legumes the field peas, things like that can also have those same effects. But Mm. there's also a lot of really good feeds out there that we can utilize. It's just being aware of what some of the potential concerns are. Like another example would be sulfates in distiller's grains. We've got a lot of challenges with high sulfate water in western South Dakota, but I know there's some issues in eastern South Dakota as well. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And if we feed high quantities of distiller's grain, which I know many people feed that as a protein supplement, it's also extremely high in energy, so it could fit both of those supplementation pictures, but it could cause polio in our cattle. And so those are some of the things that we just have to be aware of, be careful of. One resource that I use frequently when I'm working with producers and they've got some different feed stuffs that they're wanting to use that may not be mainstream is the, it's an alternative feeds for ruminant publication that North Dakota State University Extension put together. And it's very extensive. I mean, it talks about different weeds and how you can utilize them. It talks about a lot of crops that I don't think that we have in South Dakota, but they've got available in North Dakota. So if there are any anybody close to the North Dakota border, it might be some things that they would have access to at different times. But it just does a really good job of describing the nutritive content of some of those feedstuffs, but then also how to incorporate them into a ration safely. What, what's the name of that publication? It's called Alternative Feeds for Ruminants. Sure. Just wanted to repeat that so everybody could hear that and get their pen out and write that down, Alternative Feeds for Ruminants. Yeah. So there's a lot of challenges with this specific question and a lot of different ways that it could be approached depending on individual producer resources. The other thing that we may be looking at this year is um, in other dry years, we've actually had failed small grain crops. Specifically, Mm -hmm. we'll just use wheat as an example. And Mm -hmm. so maybe that wheat isn't going to make grain. And so they'll hay that. And as long as we don't have issues with nitrates, a lot of times we can utilize that failed grain crop as a hay crop for mm-hmm. our cattle and still get some benefit out of it and be able to do that maybe a little more cost-effectively than some of the other alternatives. And nitrates are something that we can manage for either with cutting height or isn't there some processes maybe to decrease some of the negative ramifications of nitrates? The easiest thing to do with nitrates is if you can wait to harvest because if that plant is still photosynthesizing. If the plant's still photosynthesizing, it's still converting that nitrate into 
to amino acids and proteins. And as long as that um, process is working, the nitrate level will continue to decrease. However, in a drought year, a lot of times that process is stalled, which is why we can have more high nitrate feeds. SDSU Extension has a nitrate quick test available that producers can bring samples in and we can test that standing forage. And what we do is we'll test the lowest growth node for presence of nitrates. If it's present, depending on the situation, we'll either say, you know, wait a few days, we'll test it again. Or if it's something that they need to get laid down, we'll test the next highest growth node so that we can determine whether or not raising that cutting height, like you had mentioned, would actually alleviate the problem. What I've seen historically is that even weed is not one of the worst small grain crops that we have for nitrate accumulation. So there's been times in dry years that wheat's been fertilized, which typically increases nitrate risk, but they go to hay it and it'll be safe to feed for cattle, pregnant females, I should say, but never assume that. Mm -hmm. Always have your feed tested just to make sure because the first thing that's going to happen is will abort females, which can be very costly. That's the um, understatement it, of a week. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, they're devastating to a cow-calf operation. But the small grains that we really have to worry about are oats. Mm. They're known as a nitrate accumulator. And so if anybody's got oats that you're, maybe you want to graze because they're not, it's not even making real good hay, get that tested for nitrates before you put cattle on it because, yeah, we could have some very devastating effects if if we're not paying attention to those things. I will, I'm in charge of the nitrate quick test program for SDSU. And so we will have a information up on our website that talks about all of the testing locations where people can go to have their forages tested. And anybody can always call me and I can help with that as well. But it's just, (sighs) nitrates is something that I, I just want to continually caution people on because every year is different and we can always have different challenges depending on what our conditions are and dry conditions can make that worse. Maybe one other nuance that I do have guys ask about from time to time in these situations is early weaning of the calves with the idea that we can pull those calves off earlier, take the pressure off of the cow and off of the pasture. But when we early wean those calves, it's not exactly the same thing as the way we would feed them if we weaned them at seven months of age or a more traditional time. Is there some things you could comment on about that? So if guys are looking at this option, they don't do things to feed the calves that won't work? Right. So I will admit I am not a feedlot nutritionist. Sure. And so that's going to be a little bit more in their realm as far as how those early weaned calves need to be managed. One of the things that I've heard from some different producers that I've worked with, though, who have early weaned in the past say they actually have had less sickness in those early weaned calves and that they take to the bunk really well. I realize everybody's situation Mm -hmm. is going to be different and some people may have had wrecks. So I know that's not a one size fits all, but I think as long as you can get those calves started on feed, I mean, you know, you're going to start them on on your long stem haze, which is going to be more similar to the grass that they've been on with mom until they really learn to to eat. And then 
you can transition them more to a backgrounding type ration. And the key is that you're going to want that to be very much a growing ration because those calves still need to grow a lot before they start to get fat. And so you're just going to want to stay at that 60-40, at least 60-40 forage to concentrate ration to get those calves growing that the way that they need to. Sure. Thanks for the commentary and uh, appreciate it. You know, and also one thing that I would throw out there is silage is not a good way to start a calf. No. So one of the other things that I would like to bring up if you're okay with it is, you know, dry lotting cows is an option too. Sure. Sure. You know, and I think East River, you guys have a lot more opportunities for that Mm -hmm. than we do just because you've got Obviously, some feedlots over here, additional feed resources. I've actually got some guys in my area who have already sent their cow-calf pairs to a feedlot East River for the summer just because they know they're not going to have enough grass and they're trying to be a little more proactive about doing something like that. And so I think the key there is making sure that you find a feedlot or a feeder who is comfortable feeding cows or pairs and that they've done it before. So, you know, take your time, interview them, ask all your questions, and tour the feedlot. Make sure that you're you're comfortable with where you're sending your cattle because it's a big investment on your part in regard to the feed, but you also have to trust that person to take care of your animals. But also evaluate the cost of it. One of the things, if we're dry-lotting cows, a lot of times we can limit feed them somewhat, but we've still got to make sure that those calves have access to feed because, you know, spring calving cows, growing calf at side, they've got to have access. So what are the feedlots doing to make sure the calves have access to the feed and are going to grow appropriately? And I just did a quick calculation to kind of look at our current corn prices, and it's going to be expensive to feed an animal grain i just did a on a cost per ton of energy basis you could pay about 185 dollars a ton for alfalfa grass hay to be equivalent to this energy you would get from corn and i use 750 a bushel and i realized that's 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 probably what i would have to pay in my area maybe not what you guys would have to pay in your area no but that's still a very good point to consider when you think about the fact that if this continues to be this dry, seven fifty a bushel may be more reality than we care to admit. Well, and then it comes back to that transportation. You know, right now I've talked to a lot of producers who are wondering if they're even going to get any hay. I heard one the other day, or one said that they have one field they're going to be able to hay this year. Mm. And I've heard of quite a few others who have had their alfalfa zeroed out, and so. <laughs> hay prices are going to be high and we may have to look further away to find some of those feed resources. And, you know, the other alternative that we know a lot of people don't want to talk about or think about, but it's culling. What do we have to do to get through this? And and it's evaluating your culling strategies and which ones may need to go down the road sooner and how we can do that. Yeah. Make that decision. Even shorten your breeding season and ultrasound earlier. That's a huge one. Or, you know, you've got your older cows, determine a specific age and you sell your older cows. Some people will not retain heifers. As I've said, everybody's situation's a little bit different and they're going to have to make decisions based on their operation goals and objectives. And it's not going to be easy. And no. I mean, my husband and I have a small cow-calf operation and... 
you know, we've been having these discussions ourselves and trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we are going to utilize short breeding season ultrasound early and get rid of anything that's that's open yeah. early. And then we've already got a few earmarked that we're not going to breed. And we know they're going to go down the road. So as soon as those calves are big enough to be weaned, those females are going to be weaned. I mean, the calves are going to be weaned and the females will be sold. Yeah. Same boat over here. We just have had that conversation with ours. And one of the things that we're trying to utilize is electric fence for uh, subdividing for better cross fencing, really. Yes. To see if we can just get a little bit more growth out of some of the grass. And if you can get a little bit more recovery, you know, yeah. if we do get some rain and you're able to utilize those electric fences and can get some recovery in some of those areas, maybe. I know we don't always want to come back and do a twice through rotation, but maybe you can come back through them for a really short period of time and get a few more days. I mean, those are all good options. So are there any other bits of advice you would have for producers facing the current challenges resulting from this drought? Stick to your plan. I mean, having a drought plan in place is important. And then following that drought plan, you know, having producers identify target dates for when they need to make some changes so that they're not having longer term negative impacts on their livestock or their forage production Mm -hmm. is important. And so, Being able to look at your historical precipitation. Where are you compared to normal? You know, if you're 50% of normal, what changes are you going to make? If you're 25% of normal, what are you going to do? And what are those key time points that you're going to make those decisions? We have the Mesonet locations, the weather stations across the state in South Dakota. And I was reviewing a few of them recently to just kind of see where we're at in the water year in relation to normal or past years. And there's a lot of areas that a few weeks ago were 35% of normal from October to current date. And so with precip that low, we've got to be making some management decisions to try to not let things deteriorate too far Because the problem is if we end up calling and we're forced to call, and so is everybody else, Hmm. we're not going to... We don't get jack squat. (laughs) No, no, we're not doing ourselves any good when the market's overrun with cold cows all at once. Well, Adele, not a fun topic, but thank you for sharing your expertise with us and all the information, especially about the nitrogen concerns that we have, so that our listening audience can at least get some ideas together to make a decent plan. I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. And yeah, it's not a fun topic, but it's definitely one that the more we can work with producers and help them think about alternatives, hopefully the more prepared we'll be to manage through that in the future. Thank you. And thank you to our audience for taking the time to stop by and listen to our podcast. Y'all take care, folks. 